You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. And for those of you who are joining on Zoom, good to have you with us as well. I want to share a story that actually has absolutely nothing to do with Proverbs, nothing to do with the sermon today. It's just a story that popped in my head when we were singing a worship song. Some of you will remember this story as I'm telling it. Others of you, it will be the first time you're hearing it. Back in the the, the 90s and the early 2000s, as a church, Living Word, we found ourselves singing a lot of songs written by a very, very well-known worship leader, songwriter, worshiper. And I didn't know because I never really pay attention to who has written the songs that we're singing. We actually sang one of his songs this morning. And this is why it popped in my head. So there was a woman at that time in our congregation who just said, you know what, I'm going to try to track down an email address for this guy. And I'm going to email him and see if he would be willing to come to Living Word and lead a worship conference. And we all thought, what a, what a crazy idea. I mean, this was a guy at the time that was well known by most of the American church as one of the premier Christian songwriters, worshipers, worship leaders. And so she doesn't know this guy at all. He doesn't know us at all. She just fires off an email to him. I don't even know how she got his email address. But she fires off an email to him and just says, hey, we're a really small church in Center City, Philadelphia. Would you be willing to come lead a worship conference for us? And sure enough, he responds and says, I would love to. (laughs) And so she tells us, and of course at this time, Buck was our senior pastor, and he said, yeah, that sounds wonderful. So we invite him. I don't even remember what year it was. I don't even remember what time of year it was. But he comes. He comes. You know, I think it was probably Carl or someone who met him at the airport. You know, we didn't know what he looked like, and, and he didn't know what we looked like. And so he came, and it was just so crazy. But, you know, part of the reason why I love this story is just because he was just a genuine brother in Christ. As far as I know, he's, he's still living. He still is a genuine brother in Christ. And, and just he said, you know what, I'm just going to do this. This isn't the the biggest church. This isn't a well-known church. I'm not going to get rich off of doing this conference. I don't even know these guys, but I'm just going to show up, and I'm going to make myself available. Well, anyways, the whole reason why I'm telling this story is because there's a a really hilarious part to it. So we're getting ready to introduce him for the first session. And again, we've never met him before, and and his last name is R-U-I-S, David Ruiz. You know, there's a family in our church whose last name is R-U-I-Z, Aaron and Jocelyn and Lynn and Jose Ruiz. And we were kind of wondering, because he didn't look really very Hispanic, but, you know, Hispanic folks come in all different, you know, shapes and sizes and colors. And so whoever was introducing him, I don't even remember who was introducing him, you know, gives this long introduction about all the incredibly well-known worship songs he's written, you know, what an incredible impact he was having on the, the American church at that time with his worship music. And we were so delighted to have David Ruiz lead a worship conference for us. Well, he stands up and starts to talk a little bit. And he goes on to say, actually, my last name is not Ruiz. (laughs) Talk about utter embarrassment for us. He's like, my last name is Roos, R-U-I-S. I'm not Hispanic, I'm Dutch. (laughs) And we were like, who knew? Who knew? So for the rest of the weekend, of course, we were laughing and apologizing to him that we had known him as David Ruiz, but he was actually David Roos and he wasn't Hispanic, but in fact he was Dutch. And anyways, it was just an incredible worship conference. He did an amazing job. And we were singing a song this morning by David Roos, and it just, that story just popped in my mind. And like I said, has absolutely nothing to do with the message, has absolutely nothing to do with the book of Proverbs, but it was just part of something that happened here quite a few years ago. And I just am thinking, you know, I'm going to try to reach out to that guy. I don't even know if it's possible and ask him if he even remembers that crazy weekend he had with that strange conference in a small church in Philadelphia that didn't even know how to pronounce his last name. (laughs) But anyways, let's pray and let's get into some things that are a little bit more serious than that. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you so much just for 
the, the fellowship and the blessing and the joy that you give us as sisters and brothers in Christ. And Father, I do just want to pray for our brother David Roos, and I just, I don't even know what he's up to now. I don't know if he's still writing worship music, what he's doing, but I just pray you would bless him, Lord, because what an incredibly uh, amazing heart you gave to him, his willingness to come here, and I still remember so much of what he taught and how he encouraged us. But God, we just thank you. We thank you for those connections. And I was reminded also as we were singing that song of, of all the saints gathered around your throne, that God, one day all of these stories will be told. They will be told for all eternity. As we, as your, 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 your sons and daughters and sisters and brothers with one another, spend all eternity at your throne, Lord Jesus. Spend all eternity at your throne and just, of course, we are worshiping you. And of course, we are glorifying you. And part of that will be telling the stories of the connections that you gave us, the love that you gave us, the incredible things that you did in our midst. And we just thank you so much for that, Lord God. We thank you as well for the blessing of being able to study together the book of Proverbs. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all wisdom. And God, I know in particular you've just been so strongly encouraging and challenging me that you call us to pursue you. You call us to desire you more than silver, more than gold, more than jewels, more than the best things that this world can offer. Father, you are saying, pursue me even more. Seek to know me even better. Want me even more. And the promise you give, Father, is that you will pour yourself into us. You will guard us. You will keep us. You will watch over us. You will prosper us. You will strengthen us. What you promise us, Lord, is so incredible in return. And so thank you for that. Thank you for that challenge and that encouragement. And even as we spend some time together today, I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal more of yourself to us. That you would reveal more of your wisdom, more of your counsel, more of your heart to us. May your Holy Spirit be present. May your Holy Spirit be present. And may he be speaking to each one of us. Because your word says that your spirit searches your mind. Your spirit knows the deep things of your heart, Father. And your spirit has been given to us. So may we be attentive right now to listen to your voice speaking to us through your Holy Spirit. And through the word that you have given us. And Jesus, it is in your name. And for your glory alone that we pray these things. Amen. Well, in a moment, we are going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. So you can start to turn there or find it on your electronic Bible. We're not going to read it just yet, but eventually we're going to be reading the first 11 verses of Proverbs chapter 15. If you've been following along in the reading plan that we have been doing together, this is actually our reading for tomorrow. Today is Proverbs chapter 14, so of course tomorrow is Proverbs chapter 15. And as Ted has shared in the intro today, the book of Proverbs is part of what we refer to as Old Testament wisdom. And last week Ted gave an excellent introduction to the book of Proverbs, talking about two women. Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. And that there are two women that are calling out to us, two women that are crying out for our attention, our devotion, our affection. Wisdom and foolishness. And as you have been reading the book of Proverbs, you realize that ultimately there really are only two paths on this life. There is the path of wisdom and there is the path of foolishness. And every day, each one of us has a multitude of opportunities to make that simple choice. In conversation, in response, in action, dozens and dozens of times each day, each one of us has an opportunity to either choose the way of wisdom or choose the way of foolishness. And there will always be those two voices crying out to us. Lady Wisdom saying, come follow me. 
deem folly foolishness, saying, come, follow me. And so Proverbs is really the foundation of Old Testament wisdom. And that's why we are reading it first. Even though in the order of books in the Old Testament, Job comes before Proverbs, we are reading Proverbs first because the foundation of Proverbs is necessary. The foundation that God establishes for us in the book of Proverbs is necessary. The righteous are blessed, the wicked are punished. One of the most basic, one of the most essential teachings of the book of Proverbs. But as we see life around us, we see sometimes that the wicked appear to be prospering and the righteous seem to be suffering. How do we deal with those circumstances? How do we take the wisdom of Proverbs that the righteous are blessed and the wicked are punished? How do we take those incredibly necessary foundational principles of Proverbs and apply them to life when it seems as if the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering? Well, that, of course, is the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, God and, and, and Scripture doesn't duck that question. God and Scripture actually fully embraces that question. But first, before we can handle those challenging circumstances, we have to let the Lord establish in our hearts that foundational wisdom of Proverbs, that there is a God who is overseeing all of his creation, he is good, he is just, he is fair, he is righteous, he is holy. He does know what he's doing and he does have the final say in everything that takes place. It's so important that we let the Lord establish that in our hearts. And that's what the book of Proverbs does. And that's why the wisdom that Proverbs offers is not simply intellectual ability. Intellectual ability is part of the wisdom of Proverbs. But as we know, the wisdom of Proverbs is far more than intellectual ability. God is not ultimately concerned what your IQ is. He's not ultimately concerned with how well you will do on a, a quiz show, how many facts you know. He's not ultimately concerned what your GPA was. He's not ultimately concerned what school you went to. These are things that play a part, but that's not what he's ultimately concerned with. Even though mental ability is part of biblical wisdom, it's not the heart of it. The heart of biblical wisdom is moral. The heart of true wisdom is acknowledging that there is a God. In Proverbs chapter 1, we saw the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not getting 1,600 on your SAT, not having a 4.0 GPA, not getting into Harvard or Yale, but it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And later in the book, we hear a very similar refrain. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And so the wisdom that God offers us is a little bit different than how the world would define wisdom and knowledge. And so we are not pursuing human wisdom. We are not pursuing human reasoning. We are not pursuing understanding what the most elite of PhD holders in this world are talking about. We are pursuing the God of all wisdom. And at times the wisdom of God will turn on its head the wisdom of man. And I believe the Apostle Paul, when writing the Corinthians, captured this so powerfully. He said, Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. The Greek world at the time of Jesus and at the time of the early church, they were known for their philosophy. In fact, even now, most of you couldn't say much about philosophy, but you've probably heard of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates some of the most greatest philosophers from a human standpoint this world has ever seen. So the Greek-speaking world into which Christ came, the Greek-speaking world into which the New Testament church was planted, was a world that loved philosophy, was a world that loved wisdom. Jews, they demanded a sign. They asked Jesus, give us a sign that verifies your authority to teach us. But Greeks, they demanded wisdom. Remember when Paul was in Athens, we just read in 
Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in, in Athens, they loved to just sit around and talk about philosophy and talk about new ideas and to talk about intellectual stimulation. And Paul preached an incredible gospel message to that Athenian group. But Paul goes on to say, even though the Jews demand a sign and even though the Greeks seek wisdom, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. How could our long-awaited Messiah allow himself to be nailed to a cross? The cross of Jesus Christ, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And the cross of Jesus Christ, it's foolishness to the Greeks. It makes no human sense. It isn't what the brightest and sharpest intellectual minds, that think tank of PhDs, it isn't what they would call wise. The cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness to this world. So the wisdom that we are seeking, the wisdom that we are giving ourselves to wholeheartedly, the wisdom that hopefully each day we are pursuing, the wisdom that we are hopefully desiring to live our life by, make our decisions by, it's not the wisdom of the world. It's the wisdom of God. And at times, it will seem like foolishness. But in that letter to the Corinthians, Paul went on to say, but you know what? The weakness of God is if God could ever be weak. This is such an engaging language that Paul uses. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of mankind. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of humanity. This is the God that we are seeking. And so what an incredible invitation that Proverbs gives us. What an incredible invitation that the God of all creation gives us. He's saying, come know me. Come learn me. Come learn my ways. Come understand me. Come know my heart. Come know my counsel. Come pursue me with all that you have. More than anything this world can offer you. Come pursue me. And you will be rewarded in ways that this world can never truly offer or understand. That's the invitation that we have here. You see, because the book of Proverbs basically says that each one of us is created by God. And each one of us is living in the world that God himself created as well. And the only way that we will navigate this life, the only way that we will live this life with any measure of success is to acknowledge that God has created it all and to acknowledge that God has made each one of us. That's what Proverbs says. Because it's God himself that establishes the rules for how his creation works. It's God himself that says this is what should be done and this is what should be avoided. And that's the book of Proverbs. That's the book of Proverbs. So how many of us are willing and wanting to pursue this God? How many of us are willing and wanting to say, God, I want to know you better. I want to understand you better. I want to know your heart. I want to know your ways. You made me, and you made the world that I live in. And the only way, the only way to live this life is to know you and to know you better. That's the invitation of Old Testament wisdom. That's the invitation that God gives us in the book of Proverbs. Well, as we mentioned earlier, we are in a section of Proverbs, chapter 14 today, chapter 15 tomorrow. We are in a longer section of Proverbs that actually began in chapter 10, verse 1. You may have noticed that once you finished up chapter 9 and started chapter 10, it was a little different. Chapters 1 to 9 were basically longer wisdom discourses or poems. As you were reading it, some of it maybe sounded a little bit like a psalm. Verses were clearly connected, and there was clear opening and introduction to multiple verse sections. These are sometimes referred to as wisdom poems. But then in chapter 10, verse 1, we got to this longest section of Proverbs that actually runs through chapter 22, verse 16. 
we get to single verse Proverbs. They're incredibly, incredibly brief. And each one actually stands alone. And so you read one, and it's incredible truth. And you read another, and it's incredible truth. And you read another, and it's incredible truth. But initially, it may not seem like there's a lot of connection between them. So from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 16, you have this longest of the section of the book of Proverbs, the single verse Proverbs. And they're incredibly brief. In Hebrew, some of them are only six words. Most of the time in English, it takes a lot more words to translate them. One of my favorite Proverbs in all of Scripture is actually not found in the book of Proverbs. One of my favorite Proverbs in all in Scripture is actually found in the book of Kings. And it's Ahab preparing to go to battle. And he's getting ready to fight the king of Aramea or Syria. And the king of Aramea is boasting that he's going to win the battle. And Ahab says, the one who is putting on his armor should not boast as the one who is taking off his armor. Now, it takes a lot of words in English to get that proverb out. The one who is putting on his armor should not boast as the one who is taking off his armor. Well, in Hebrew, guess how many words that is? Three. That's three words. And so, as we get to this section of Proverbs 10.1 to 22, verse 16, these Proverbs are incredibly, incredibly brief. And so what we see is that these Proverbs, they don't take the time to talk about all the what-ifs, all the what-abouts. But wait a second, you know, I saw this the other day, and wait a second, that guy said, no, Proverbs doesn't have time for that. Proverbs just says, boom, truth, boom, truth, boom, truth, boom. That's the way this section of Proverbs speaks to us. Incredibly, incredibly terse, and that's intentional. But what is God doing? God is establishing in our hearts principles that absolutely have to be concrete foundation, immovable, unshakable. No matter what we see, no matter what crazy thoughts run through our heads, no matter what doubts or fears or worries or what-ifs race through our hearts, we have got to let God establish this unshakably in our heart. Boom, 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 boom. God knows what he's doing. When he put together this section of Proverbs, he said, this is exactly the way I want to impart this type of wisdom to my people. Job is the what-ifs. Ecclesiastes is the what-ifs. Proverbs is the what-is. This is. This is the true wisdom of the God who created the universe and created you. We see that these Proverbs are incredibly either-or. There's no middle ground. There is the path of life. There is the way of death. There is wisdom. There is foolishness. There is righteousness. There is wickedness. There is wealth. There is poverty. There is calamity. There is prosperity. There's no middle ground. There's no gray in the book of Proverbs. There is no nuancing. It's simply this or that. And we see that powerfully in this longest section of the book of Proverbs. And so you see that the opening phrase and the second phrase of each verse, they almost always mirror or match or sometimes completely contrast with each other to highlight this either-or. You're either walking in wisdom or you are walking in foolishness. You are either righteous or you are either wicked. You are either prospering or you are under calamity. That's the way the book of Proverbs presents this wisdom of God. And so we see these sharp, sharp contrasts. Why? Because God is establishing truth in our heart that has to be established. He is putting something in our life that is going to give us the ability to weather the storm. Whether the storms of Job and Ecclesiastes, we've got to get Proverbs first. We've got to get this wisdom first. And at times, this wisdom will seem like foolishness to humanity. God's okay with that. One thing that I read that I had completely forgotten, if you count the number of Proverbs 
in the section from 10.1 to 22.16. There's actually 375 Proverbs. If any of you want some tedious homework, you can go home this afternoon and count how many Proverbs from 10.1 to 22.16. How many Proverbs are there? Well, there's 375 Proverbs. Now, when you think of the book of Proverbs, what human author do you think of? Solomon. Well, some of you may realize that ancient Hebrew, they didn't have a system of numbers. Each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet had a numerical value. So the letter A was 1, the letter B was 2, the letter C, well, they don't have C, was 3. But in other words, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet had a numerical value. Well, if you take the letters of Solomon's name, guess what the numerical value of Solomon's name is? 375. So whoever was assembling the book of Proverbs was giving honor to the king who was wiser than all others. Now this is not a major point, and I'm not huge into biblical numerology and the Bible code and all that rubbish, but it's interesting, and this is clearly intentional. This is clearly intentional that the king was being honored by the number of Proverbs in this section because it matched the numerical value of his name. But anyways, Proverbs chapter 15, as you have been reading from Proverbs 10 to Proverbs 22, as we've been talking about this incredible brief bullet-type truth, you may have struggled at times to see any connection between them. Now, for centuries, the believing church didn't really acknowledge that there was any real order to how these specific Proverbs were arranged. But then in the 60s, biblical scholarship started to change a little bit. And biblical scholarship started to look for groupings and connections within the specific Proverbs. Started to look for actually common threads that gave a logic to how these Proverbs were ordered. So what we're going to try to do today is see if we can maybe find a little bit of a connection in the opening of Proverbs chapter 15. So let's read that now together. It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the Produce of the wicked brings them trouble. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. He who hates correction will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Now again, oftentimes when reading a section of Proverbs like this, we may struggle to see any sort of connection between them. And I certainly would say that I struggle oftentimes to see a connection between them. But I do believe that these are not just haphazardly arranged. And whether we can discern the reason why certain Proverbs are connected or not, that's beyond the point. It certainly is exactly given to us the way the Lord inspired the human arrangers of Solomon's Proverbs. But if we look at this section a little bit more closely, of course, each proverb stands alone. Each proverb is a truth that is worthy of our meditation, is worthy of our devotion, is worthy of our attempt to acknowledge and to live it out. 
But there seems to be maybe some threads that are connecting the Proverbs in this section. It seemed to be that quite a few of them were addressing speech. Proverbs 1, an answer, a word. Proverbs 2, the tongue, the mouth. Proverbs 4, the tongue, and again implying the tongue. And Proverbs 7, the lips. So we see here that speech seems to be an incredibly significant and repeated part of the message of many of these Proverbs. And of course we understand that speech is incredibly significant. What we say has incredible power. What we say influences. What we say has an impact. And the book of Proverbs repeats that. So this is not a unique section of Proverbs in talking about just how powerful and how influential our speech can and actually is. You know, when I was a kid, we heard something, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt us. Well, that's a complete lie. Sometimes being beaten with a stick or being hit with a stone is less painful than the injuries that harsh words or sinful words or critical words, that kind of impact that words can have on us. So Proverbs repeatedly talks about how important and how powerful our words are. And here we see that specifically in 1, 2, 4, and 7. A specific focus on speech. Proverbs 1 says, A gentle word turns away wrath or turns away anger. But an offending word stirs things up. Now again, on its own, there's incredible wisdom in that. And each one of us have experienced that. And each one of us know that when our blood is boiling and when our frustration is growing, if we speak an offending word, the audience is probably not going to calm down. The audience is probably not going to say, oh, wow, yes, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you so much. But in fact, we're probably just pouring gasoline on a fire. But the wisdom of God says, actually, it's a gentle word that turns away wrath. It's a gentle answer that turns away anger. And sometimes speaking a gentle word is one of the hardest things that the Lord asks us to do. But that's part of how we have speech that honors the Lord. Because speech that just stirs up anger, speech that just increases wrath, is not speech that honors the Lord. In fact, it's a gentle answer that calms a situation down. A gentle answer that de-escalates a conversation. That's the kind of speech that honors the Lord. Well, verse 2 continues to talk about speech that honors the Lord. Speech that honors the Lord speaks for us the wisdom of the Lord. But fools speak foolishness and speak folly and speak the wisdom of the world. So again, as we said, every day we have an opportunity to speak the wisdom of God. And that's kind of speech that honors the Lord. So when we're speaking God's wisdom, when we're speaking God's counsel, we are actually speaking in a way that honors Him. When we are simply just speaking foolishness, when we are speaking our own thoughts, when our own perspective, our own wisdom, we are actually speaking in a way that dishonors Him. And verse 2 actually says the wise person esteems or values or treats very carefully wisdom. Or knowledge is that the way you speak when you speak are you putting a high value on speaking what is wise are you putting a high value on speaking what is true or are you simply speaking to get your own opinion out there are you speaking simply to influence the hearer in the way that you want them to be influenced well that's not speech that honors the Lord speech that honors the Lord treasures, values, esteems the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord. Does that typify your typical conversation? 
That's what Proverbs 2 is putting in front of us. Proverbs 4 talks about just how powerful our speech is. Because what it actually says is that we have the ability to heal with the words that we speak. Now Jesus is the great healer. We know that. Jesus touches. Jesus speaks. And physical ailments, sicknesses, diseases, they disappear. Jesus is a healer. So speech that honors Jesus heals. It actually says that healing words are a tree of life. You have the ability simply with your mouth, with your lips, with your tongue. And you see how Proverbs is using all sorts of different words there to describe our speech. You have the power to bring about the healing of Christ. In your conversations, if you are seeking to speak gently according to Proverbs 1, if you are seeking to speak the wisdom and counsel of God according to Proverbs 2, then you actually have the ability to bring the healing of Christ into the heart and the life and the soul of an individual. Because again, look at the reciprocal in the second part of verse 4. But a deceitful tongue or a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. You see, again, there's no middle ground. You're either using speech that honors the Lord and bringing the healing of Christ to a heart, or you're speaking offensively, derisively, deceitfully, perversely, and you're crushing the spirit of the individuals to whom you are speaking. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. It's either speech that honors the Lord, that's gentle and turns away wrath, that relishes, embraces, enjoys the wisdom of God, that actually brings healing to the heart and the soul of individuals who need the healing of Christ. Or there is speech that stirs up anger. Yeah, you got the last word, but man, you really made that hard situation worse. There is speech that just bubbles forth your own wisdom, your own perspective, your own wants, just the folly of human wisdom. And there's speech that crushes the spirit. So how are we speaking? How are we speaking? So you see here now, each one of these proverbs absolutely stands alone. But as we are kind of reading them together, as we're kind of connecting them, because the divinely inspired human assemblers of Proverbs, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put these Proverbs together. As we're kind of seeing them together, we're getting a, a deeper theme, a richer theme. So I challenge you, as you are reading through this section of Proverbs, don't just read your 30 Proverbs and be done. Go back and start to look for some connections. Go back and start to maybe see a common theme, a common word, something that's repeated, something that shows some sort of intentionality in how these Proverbs are laid out together. I don't think it's absolute. I don't think there are clearly marked, you know, A, conclusion. But they're there. And look at even as we're looking at 1, 2, and 4 together, we're seeing sort of a depth to understanding how God wants us to speak. The power of using words that honor Christ. The power of responding gently and diffusing wrath. The power of speaking the counsel of God. The power of speaking words that bring healing, that literally are a tree of life to those who hear it. Well, we understand that human speech is not just one way. If you are ever in a conversation that's just one way, either you are the one way or you are getting a little tired of the one way. If you are in a conversation and one person is doing all of the talking, either you are that one that's doing all of the talking, and probably your audience is getting a little weary at some point, or you are the one that is hearing all of the talking, and you are the one that's getting a little weary at some point. So when the Bible talks about speech, it doesn't simply talk about how we are to speak, even though that's a huge part of it. When the Bible talks about speech, the Bible also talks about how we are to listen. And there are a couple Proverbs embedded in this section 
of 15, 1 to 11, that talk about how we are to listen. Specifically looking at verses 5 and verse 10. You see, Proverbs 15, 5 and Proverbs 15, 10 talk about how we are to listen to a certain type of speech. And that certain type of speech is probably one of our least favorite types of speech. Look at Proverbs 15.5. It says, A fool spurns his father's discipline or correction or warning, but whoever heeds the rebuke or the reprimand shows prudence or gains craftiness. So again, being corrected, being told that you are wrong, being disciplined, being warned, being rebuked, not usually our favorite type of conversation to receive. In fact, most of us probably, when we hear that type of speech, immediately respond and start thinking, no, that's not me, yeah, but, or starts to give an excuse. But you see, what Proverbs is doing here, as it does throughout the entire book of Proverbs, is say that the wise person, when it comes to speech, the wise person speaks a certain way, but the wise person also listens a certain way. And over and over and over again, not just verses 5 and 10 here, over and over and over again, the book of Proverbs says, the wise person listens. The wise person hears correction, hears rebuke, heeds warnings. Now, of course, not every, not every rebuke that you receive is from God. Of course, there's a lot of sinful people out there that are saying a lot of sinful things. But that's Job and Ecclesiastes. You see how quickly our hearts want to race to Job and Ecclesiastes? How quickly our hearts want to race to the whatabouts, the what ifs, yeah, but you don't understand? No, we've got to get Proverbs in place first. You see, because if you are genuinely willing to listen to correction and rebuke, then God will give you the ability to discern which ones really are from him and which ones are not. But if in your flesh you're always just ignoring correction and rebuke, you're always immediately responding with a rebuttal, with an argument, with an explanation, then you will not only diffuse the sinful rebukes, but you will completely miss the rebukes that actually come from the heart of the Lord. You see, we can't go to Job and Ecclesiastes first. We can't deal with all of the exceptions first. We've got to let God establish the foundation of Proverbs first. And the foundation of Proverbs says the wise person listens. You see, and when you really are growing in the wisdom of God, and when you are really willing to listen to that incredibly challenging speech of correction and rebuke and warning, you see, then God gives you the ability to discern, yeah, you know, I, I don't think that was right. I don't think what they said really applies to me. But even better, you will be able to say when appropriate, yeah, wow, they were right on. And that is me. And I do need to change. Thank you, Lord. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And you see how different that is from the world? Because what does the world say? How dare you tell me anything? How dare you tell me what to think, what to say, how to dress, who to sleep with? How dare you tell me anything? Isn't that the attitude of our world? And you know what God says? You're a fool. And that path, the path of foolishness, where does it lead? Death. Is there any middle ground? Is there any gray? 
Is there any in between? The path of death, the path of life, and the path of kind of alive, kind of dead? No. There is no middle ground. These things, we're all in or we're all out. We're going to live or we're going to die. That's it. That's Proverbs. That's it. So yes, of course, it's hard to hear somebody say, you're wrong. It's hard to hear somebody say a correction, a rebuke, a warning. But if you are wise, you will listen. And sometimes you will hear the voice of God. You will hear that correction that you needed to hear. You will grow in wisdom. The book of Proverbs actually says the wise person embraces rebuke because they understand this is going to make me wiser. This is going to make me more Christ-like. This is going to make me more godly. So you see, our posture shouldn't be excuse, response, rebuttal. Our response should be, I'm listening. And God will give you the wisdom to ignore what should be ignored. That can be processed. But then he will also give you the grace to receive what will make you more like him. So we see here in this section of Proverbs, there is a way that God wants us to speak that honors him. There's a way that God wants us to listen that honors him. But look particularly at verse 7, because verse 7 to me is one of these verses in this section that's absolutely key. It says, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the mouth of the fools, not so the tongue of the fools, not so the words of the fools. Is that what the second part of verse 7 says? No, what does the second part of verse 7 say? Not so the hearts of the fools. Now you see, that doesn't quite form the kind of balance and parallel that we've been seeing. Verse 1, it's an answer and then words. Verse 2, it's tongue and then mouth. Verse 4, it's tongue and then tongue. Verse 7, it's lips and then not tongue or heart or words or mouth. It's heart. Ah. See, again, Proverbs 7 absolutely stands alone in its own right, but Proverbs 7 is giving us sort of an interpretive key to understanding all of the Proverbs in this section that are talking about speech. Because ultimately, where does our speech come from? It comes from the heart. So now as you're looking at Proverbs 7, and now, going back and rethinking about Proverbs 1 and 2 and 4, you're saying, wait a second, that gentle word actually comes from my heart. Those words of wisdom, they actually come from my heart. Those words that heal, they actually come from my heart. Those words that the Lord delights in, they come from my heart. And isn't that exactly what Jesus himself said? Matthew chapter 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 15, what comes out of the mouth actually comes out of the heart. You see, even though Proverbs is more than willing and more than happy to talk about our lips and our words and our answers and our mouth and our tongues, the book of Proverbs absolutely recognizes there is a deeper source to all of that. And that deeper source is our hearts. And so whatever you are speaking, it ultimately comes from your heart. Whatever you are saying is a reflection of what's in your heart heart. Now you can use, you know, happy words when your heart is sad, and you can use words that don't ultimately reflect your heart for a time. But in the end, your heart will be revealed by what you say. 
Your heart will be revealed by what you say. And of course, Jesus says, that's how we know one another. We judge a tree by its roots? No. We judge a tree by its fruit. Because we can't see the roots of a tree unless we dig it up. But if we see an orange tree bearing oranges, then we know, hey, that's not an apple tree. That's an orange tree. If we see a grapevine bearing grapes, we know that that's not a fig tree, that it's grapes. But we realize that it's the roots that are bringing forth that fruit. We can't see the roots. We see the fruit. That's why there's so much emphasis in the book of Proverbs placed on speech, both how we speak and how we listen because that is the fruit that we are constantly interacting with. The words that I use and the words that you use that I hear. But you see, verse 7 is kind of that transition that reminds us, wait a second, every tree has roots. Every orange tree is ultimately bearing oranges because it has roots that are unseen, that are producing that tree, that are producing that fruit. And that's what Proverbs 7 is getting at that it is our hearts that are producing the words that we use. And of course, it's our hearts that are, used, that are telling us how we respond to the words that we hear. So now, all of a sudden, we see verse 3 and verse 11 actually kind of connect far more profoundly than maybe we originally thought. When reading it through, when we did a couple of minutes ago, you may have thought, well, verse 3 is kind of weird. We're talking about speech in verse 1. We're talking about speech in verse 2. We're talking about speech in verse 4. But in verse 3, it says, you know, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, and he watches over the wicked and the evil. Well, now all of a sudden, as we're looking at sort of the connecting context here, that verse actually makes a lot of sense. Because can you see my heart? No, you hear my words. But does God see my heart? Yes. So you see, verse 3 is actually saying God sees the heart behind every word. Nothing is hidden to him. And in an even more profound way, in verse 11, Proverbs 15, 11 says the same thing. Sheol and Abaddon are not hidden before him. They are laid bare before him. How much more, what? The hearts of men. Whoa! All of a sudden, these Proverbs are really linking. These Proverbs are really speaking together. And the thing is, we stopped at 11. But Proverbs 12 talks about the heart. Proverbs 13 talks about the heart. So you see, all of a sudden, now you have another grouping in there, where if you read them together, you're going to get deeper truth than just the individual truth that each one of them declares. We're just stopping at 11 because that's all the time we have, and I've probably taken too much time. But you see, verse 3 and verse 11 say, wait a second, God sees everything. God sees the heart. God sees the heart that produces the words that honor him. God sees the heart that produces the words that dishonor him. God sees the heart that, that listens in a way that honors him. God sees the heart that rejects in a way that dishonors him. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. You and I, we have to deal with each other's words. I can't look at Karen's heart. I can't look at Kevin's heart. God can, but I can hear their words and I can speak words to them. That's what Proverbs is saying. But God sees that heart. God sees that producer of words. God sees that listener of words. He sees our hearts. Nothing is hidden before the Lord. And praise God for that. So if you find that you're using words that dishonor the Lord, if you find that you are having trouble hearing words in a way that honors the Lord, he knows your heart. And he knows the heart work that needs to be done. If you are struggling with cursing, it's absolutely appropriate to say, man, I just don't want to curse anymore. But it's even better to say, Lord, what is in my heart that is producing these curse words? 
If you're constantly using angry words, it's right to say, hey, I want to have gentle speech. But it's even better to say, Lord, what's in my heart that needs to change so that my words are gentle and actually are calming a situation instead of instigating a situation? Because God sees the heart, and God knows your heart, and God wants you. Remember, God wants you to seek him. God wants you to know him. God wants you to understand him. God wants us to use speech that honors him. He actually has an incredibly vested interest in this. God really wants us to speak in a way that heals and calms and promotes his counsel. God wants us to speak that way. So if we genuinely go to him and say, Lord, show me my heart that's producing these words. Show me my heart and change what needs to be changed. God will absolutely respond. And he will heal your heart and strengthen your heart and restore your heart and mend your heart and do those things that only God can do. See, that's what Proverbs 15, 1 to 11 is saying. We can deal with the words, we can deal with the fruit, and we have to do that in a way that honors God, but only God can deal with the heart. Only God can deal with the heart. Look now at verse 6, another one that really kind of seemed out of place at first. You're kind of talking about words, you're kind of talking about how you speak words, you're kind of talking about how you hear words. Now we kind of see how 3 and 11 really make sense because God sees the heart that produces words, nothing is hidden. But then in verse 6, the house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the produce, NIV says income, it's actually produce, the word is like what a field produces, what a crop produces. The produce of the wicked brings them trouble or becomes untouchable. Well, that's kind of weird. How come we're talking about these things that now we're kind of seeing a connection? But really what it's saying is that in the house of the righteous, things are stored up. Things are treasured. And what the wicked produces, what the wicked brings forth. Well, wait a second. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 6, I don't think, is really just talking about how much grain are in the barns of the righteous. I think Proverbs 6 is actually talking about the good things of God that are stored up in the heart of the righteous that come forth as words that honor him. And I don't think the second part of Proverbs 6 is really talking about how the grain of the wicked is going to become rat-infested or mildew-infested like manna that was kept for two days. I think what it's saying is that what the wicked, ungodly heart is producing, what it is bringing forth, ultimately is of no value except for destruction to anyone. You see how actually the context around Proverbs 15.6 gives us, I think, a much more profound way to read it. I don't think really Proverbs 15.6 is talking about how much grain is in the barn of the righteous and how much grain is going to rot in the barn of the wicked. I think what it's talking about is what is stored up in our hearts. And in the heart of the righteous, there is so much good that's stored up that when we speak, the good things in our heart come out. Gentle words, healing words, words of wisdom, words of counsel. But what's stored up in the heart of the wicked is ultimately just going to destroy and come to nothing and be of no benefit to anything. The produce, the outcome of the wicked is untouchable. The word that's used there is actually the word that means something that is taboo. When Achan took what was not allotted to him in Jericho, that word that was used there is this is taboo, this is untouchable. That's the word that Proverbs 15.6 uses. That what comes out of the wicked heart, it just becomes of no value to anyone. It's dangerous even to touch. But you see how trying to read Proverbs with some context is really giving us an incredible view into what Proverbs 15.6 is really talking about. Now, is this easy? No. In fact, my wife can tell you how much I struggled to put this message together. Because I said, Lord, how am I going to preach from Proverbs? How am I going to put together a sermon from Proverbs? Because it's just, you know, one point and then another point and then another point and then another point. 
But if you take some time, and if you really try to read these single-verse Proverbs in the larger context in which they find themselves, you may start to see some connections. And what you will actually see is that they are informing you on how to read the Proverbs that are closely associated with them. And now we're growing even more in the wisdom of the Lord, which is ultimately what I hope we each want. Let me just close by looking at one more verse that we haven't looked at. Well, verse 9, quickly, I apologize. We haven't looked at verse 8 or 9. Verse 9, I think it simply establishes the night and day difference. There is the wicked, there is the righteous. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. In your speech, in your heart, in how you listen, there's no middle ground. There's wickedness, there's righteousness. But in verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. Well, why? Why does he detest it? He doesn't say why. Remember, Proverbs doesn't have reason for long explanations and long what-ifs. But if you had to make a guess based on what we're saying, based on the context that we're looking at in verse 8, why does the Lord detest the sacrifice of the wicked? Well, it could be, like Malachi said, maybe he's giving a blind sheep or a crippled goat. It could be, but probably what the Lord detests is what? The heart of the sacrificer. So again, if you're reading Proverbs 15:8 in context, you're saying, well, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked because of the heart that is not really aligned with him in sacrificing it. Sometimes the sacrifices of the sinful person were rejected because they were giving their worst. But I believe in Proverbs 15:8, what is actually being said is that the Lord detests it because of the sinful heart behind it. And then what about the second part of verse 8? But the prayer of the upright pleases him. Again, initially, why are we talking about that? Well, what is prayer? Prayer is speech. But as with all speech, what does prayer reflect? Prayer reflects the heart. So one of the most powerful, one of the most pleasing, one of the most effective, one of the most glorious aspects of human speech is prayer. It's talking to the Lord. He loves it. He loves it when you talk to him. He loves the heart that loves him that produces the words that are part of our prayers. He loves it. It's pleasing to him. The prayer of the upright. It pleases him. He loves to hear from you. You're his daughter. You're his son. He's cleansed your heart. He's purchased your heart. He's purchased your life. He loves the words that come out of your heart when those words are directed to him, when those words are your prayers, your conversation with him. It's pleasing to him. The most powerful way that we use our lips is to lift up prayers to the God who has cleansed our hearts. Well, anyways, I'm going to close there. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it has shed light on a bit more of the wisdom of God. But also, I hope it really helps you to read the book of Proverbs. It's going to take a little bit more time. It's not just going to be reading the, the 30 Proverbs of chapter 15 or the 30 Proverbs of chapter 16. It's going to be going back and saying, okay, Lord, what are some connections here? What are some repeated words, some repeated themes? What, how do these Proverbs interpret each other, influence each other? But it's worth the effort. Remember, we are to be pursuing God more than anything else. More than the greatest wealth and riches this world can offer, we are to be pursuing the wisdom and the counsel of the Lord. Any extra time you spend with him is worth it. Any hard work that you spend in seeking to understand him is worth it. As Proverbs says, you will be richly rewarded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just want to thank you so much that you are the all-wise God. You are all-knowing and all-seeing and nothing is hidden from you. And even, even as we were talking about fruit and roots and hearing speech but not knowing the heart, 
God, you remind us of just how small and puny and tiny our knowledge and our perspective is. And how could we ever, 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 ever think we know and see as clearly as you do? Because, God, you see everything. We don't. You know everything. We don't. And thank you for reminding us of that. It doesn't say that we see the human heart. It doesn't say that everything is laid bare before us. It says everything is laid bare before you, and you see the human heart. And so thank you for reminding us of that. And Father, thank you for reminding us that because you have changed our hearts, you have circumcised our hearts, you have given us the ability to speak words that heal and bring life and calm wrath and bring forth your counsel and wisdom. Every time we open our mouth to speak, we have the opportunity to do that. And I pray you would help us. And finally, Father, there are so many of us here and so many of us that are viewing on Zoom that need you to heal our hearts. Our words are not honoring you. And the reason is there's something in our heart that needs to be healed. And right now, Lord, in all humility and in all transparency before you, we ask you to heal our hearts. We ask you to heal our hearts, Lord. Whatever guilt needs to be removed, whatever sin needs to be forgiven, whatever shame needs to be taken away, we ask you to heal our hearts so that our words might honor you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name alone. Amen.